Hi, this is Donna Bearstein, founder and publisher of Teferit Journal. Welcome to tonight's Teferit Talk interview with Danny Antman. Danny is an interfaith minister and a master energy healer with over 25 years' experience working with the human energy field. She is a graduate of the Barbara Brennan School of Healing and the Non-Dual School of Healing, and she has a certification in somatic experiencing to work with PTSD and trauma. She is a student and teacher of Kabbalah and has led workshops at Esalen and La Casa de Maria. She is currently on the staff of the Lionheart Institute for Transpersonal Energy Healing. Danny is also currently writing her first book titled Wired for God, Adventures of a Jewish Yogi. Please join me in welcoming Danny to tonight's Teferit Talk. Hi, Danny. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hi, Donna. You know, um, before um, we start, I, I wanted to thank you for having me and also um, for creating Teferit, which I've seen really grow over the past 10 years. Um, it's really been a gift to the world and inspires people, and I've been very grateful to have my art on your cover several, several times. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for your art and your support of Teferit. And uh, you were in the room when I first learned the meaning of the word Teferit, which is certainly more important than ever these days in its in its uh, idea of opposites being reconciled. So um, I'm yeah. really looking forward to our talk tonight. I remember um, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, you are an artist, a visual artist, a healer, an energy healer, and a writer. We've published your work in Teferit, an essay about Hebrew letters, mysticism of Hebrew letters. And I thought we might begin, we have a lot to talk about, but I thought we might begin by talking about your visual art creations um, and how you got into that. Sure. Um, I've always been artistic. Um, when I was a young girl, I spent a lot of time alone, and I would make up imaginary scenarios with paper dolls, creating full environments and clothes for them. Um, later on, an aunt of mine taught me how to paint in oils, and I studied um, at the Art Students League for some time, and that was an art major at Queens College. But um, somewhere in the middle of that journey as a fine artist, I switched to interior design and studied interior design. And I later had a full-time job as a freelance artist producing interior renderings, um, which are perspective paintings of interiors. Um, and this, the interior designers would use these paintings to sell their jobs to their clients. And... It took five years, really, to get professionally capable. Um, and I became very, very good at creating the mood and feeling of a interior space in paint. And mm-hmm. to, to do that, it required imagination and focus. And it became like a meditation for me. I would get into the zone that most artists know. And... Mm-hmm. Um, 
very little sense of self would be present when I was in that zone. It was almost, it was really like the space of meditation. But at the time, I wasn't a meditator, so I didn't know that. Um, later on, um, where I met you was at a, in a training in Kabbalistic healing, which is now called Non-Dual Healing and Awakening. And I, for the first time, got exposed to Kabbalah and the Jewish mystical path. And um, I became, gradually, I became very inspired artistically by the role of Hebrew letters in Jewish mysticism. They are considered the mechanism or channel through which God creates the world. And they interface with the state of nothingness that precedes creation and the actual making of a thing, a something, or a word, or a sentence, or a thought. Um, mm-hmm. They're like the DNA of creation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, in my fashion... Yeah? No, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry? Were you going to no, ask go ahead. something? Okay. I, I was, just, I was um, going to say that I remember when we, when we first learned about when you started talking about the Hebrew letters, one of the things that fascinated me was and 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 in your studies as an interfaith minister too I, I know you've come across this that that in Judaism Sanskrit Christianity many faiths and traditions talk about spirit or divinity coming through letters or the word right right and in all those traditions it is how light comes through it, it light becomes vibration and vibration becomes sound and sound, you know, becomes letter, word, thought, understanding. So the letters, both in Hebrew and Sanskrit, particularly carry that vibration, that energetic signature, in in a sense. And in one of my re, uh, research periods, I read that there were Kabbalists way back when, maybe in the 12th or 13th century, that used to... Um, inscribe their their prayer shawls with Hebrew names and letters. And at that moment, I got very inspired to do that myself. I envisioned myself making a shawl and putting Hebrew names of God on them and prayers on them and wrapping myself in it. And I I did just that. I taught myself how to paint on silk and how to read Hebrew. <laughs> now, I didn't quite teach myself. I had some help with the Hebrew but I began drawing the letters, and in um, one of the articles you published in Tiferet, I described starting a series of paintings of the Hebrew letters with the intent to capture their energy. I didn't want to just paint them decoratively or symbolically. I wanted the paintings to almost transmit the energy of the letters. And as I related in that article... um, Instead of me drawing the letters, the energy of the letters started to draw me. And they drew me into the state of consciousness from which they originate, um, the no-thingness, because they come before any created thing. And I found it impossible to draw them or paint them. And I was an experienced artist. The paintings kept dissolving into muddy darkness. Mm. And... um, Eventually, what happened was I was able to kind of sustain um, 
that energy within myself and the paintings began to reappear again. I was able to paint, paint them without them disappearing. But I realized that this encounter with nothingness is actually an intrinsic part of the creative process itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we all know that as paint, as an artist of any kind, you encounter nothingness and the pure potential as you face a blank canvas or a blank piece of paper every time you write. It's like, yeah. ah, right? <laughs> right. And Mark Strand, who was, a form, who was a former poet laureate of the United States, said all writing is writing against the void. So yeah. it, does, it does take that necessary step of not running away from nothingness or the void, but confronting it. Right. I don't know if I would use confront, although I think that's process. Um, after a while, it, it feels to me that I rest in the void. And when I can do that without anxiety or pressure put upon myself, then there's a creative flow that comes through. And that's, that's very good, Kabbalistic. Yeah. yeah, it's very Kabbalistic. Can you tell us a little bit more about, um, I know you and I have talked about this, the creative process as it's seen in Kabbalah. How does that, keep talking a little bit about that. Yeah, a lot of Kabbalah really focuses on a creative process in the sense of the Kabbalists were interested in how we, people, things, places, came to be um, out of nothing. So they're very interested in creation itself. And a lot of Kabbalistic teachings are tied to the first few passages of Genesis, which speak to how the world was created. And then there's a lot of mystical associations with that. And in fact, the whole map of the Tree of Life is associated with Genesis, with the beginning of creation. So the Kabbalists um, were interested in how something comes from nothing. And mm -hmm. in one of the teachings, they describe four worlds or stages of creation, of manifestation, as light descends and forms matter. Mm -hmm. And that would be called the descending current. And if you reverse that and trace it upwards, an ascending uh, current you would have a map of how consciousness becomes enlightened or filled with light. So it works both ways, ascending and descending. Okay. So one could say that the descent of light into matter is essentially the creative process, and we all go through these stages. I mean, we could talk about these stages or worlds very mystically, and we could talk about them very humanly. Um and ultimately, any ascending and descending currents um, get a, gets a subsumed in pure presence, you know, into the now, where all creation happens, of course, um, where that state of pure flow or the zone, which we talked about earlier, um, the mm -hmm. state where there's no I present, you know, no sense of self present um, and no sense of ownership. Mm hmm I'm sure you've out of the that. way. Yeah, yeah, those are lucky times. Those are fortunate times when you're in that state. 
Right. And what I've come to understand, though, in Kabbalah is that no matter where you start in those four mm-hmm. stages, if you accept where you are and you work with yourself, the other mm-hmm. stages unfold. So you could start anywhere, uh-huh. including very blocked. <laughs> uh-huh. I'd love to describe the four stages. Yeah, please. I was just going to ask you to do that. Please do. Yeah. The highest one or the one that is considered closest to the nothingness, the no-thingness, is called azilut. And it's also called nearness, nearness to God or to the divine. And um, this is a state where nothing, there is, quote, nothingness, but it's also everythingness. It's everything and it's pure potential. And there's very little we can say about it because the sense of ego and I completely dissolved there. You couldn't have an objective witness there. There's just vast nothingness that is paradoxically um, potentially everything. Um, But below below that and coming closer towards manifestation is the world of Bria, and that's where we have the beginning of language and letters and the beginning of creation of duality and form. And some people liken it to the blueprint stage or the pattern-making stage of what we want to create. And here one has to be receptive to that pattern or the idea of something that wants to take form. And very often it feels like it comes out of the blue, so to speak. And, Mm -hmm. you know, musicians like Mozart created from this place. He would hear Mm -hmm. the music um, in a complete form and then Mm -hmm. would translate it. And I believe Einstein received the formula E equals MC squared as coming out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I'm right about that. It's interesting. I'm just listening to Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, and she's talking about writers um, things wanting to be written, looking, being for the writer, the necessity of remaining open to these ideas that are out there and um, being open to receiving. Right. And that also takes a surrender of your personal agenda. Um, yes. I don't know about you, but when I'm writing, I I often think it's going to be about one thing and it ends up another. <laughs> Yeah, because of that inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the the nothingness, and then somehow or other, this creation of an idea or a pattern or a blueprint that seems to pop in, and then mm-hmm. it's our job to translate that and imbue it with emotion and color and texture and characteristics. And this is the world of Yetzirah, the world of um, formation, where things are formed. And here is where, you know, our limited eye starts to encounter our own feelings and reactions to what we're creating. We start to have a dialogue with our creation. And this can be positive and affirming, or it can be very negative, um, where our reactions inhibit this process. And as you and I have discussed numerous times, stuff comes Mm -hmm. up about, you know, is this good enough? Is this all crap? Is it meaningful? 
someone's going to read it? Will they like it? And, yep. you know, you have to work with these with yourself, either push them aside or trace them to their source. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, for me, I kind of acknowledge them and say thank you very much and I need to work now. <laughs> yeah. But that takes a yeah. while. I think people can be paralyzed at this stage by the negative thoughts. Many people are very paralyzed. That's yeah. Right. Um, and if we get through this stage and we actually start to write or paint or create, um, we're in the world of Asiya, which is the world of making, creating, and actually bringing our vision into form. And here also, we have the work of craft, whether it's learning our craft, learning about how to paint, how to do a perspective, or in the case of writing, uh, grammar, spelling, editing, plot construction, um, and keeping the inspiration and the emotional quality of Yitra and the original blueprint and bringing that all down into some kind of coherency is the work, right? Mm -hmm. So really we're holding all of the stages at once. Mm -hmm. Otherwise the final product doesn't match our Initial yeah. If, if we yeah. if we get stuck in the negative voices of Yitzhara, nothing gets on the page or the canvas. And if we get down to Asiya, we're actually where we're actually putting words on the page or paint on the canvas, but we're not connected to Bria and Atilut, um There may be there may be a thinness to the work we're creating. Would that be fair to right. say? Yeah, and I think for a beginner, we master one of those skills one at a time. I, I do remember when I was painting full time that it took really took five years to have it happen all at once, and it was painful mm-hmm. because I would finish projects and I knew they could be better, and you know they were good enough, but it took a while till they were really good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's certainly as a yeah. writer, it's frustrating. Thank you. Time. It's a continual learning process. It is. It's, it's right. a continual creative process as we go through the work. Um, so I know that you have started a book or that you you are in the midst of a book that I'm very excited to read, a spiritual memoir, and I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about that. Sure. The book is called Wired for God, Adventures of a Jewish Yogi, and it's about a very intense process of spiritual awakening that started in 1988 with my becoming a healer. And it covers the journey from becoming a healer to actually becoming an ardent spiritual seeker. And along the way, I was immersed in Kabbalah. I've had a near-death experience. I met a master in the form of a Kundalini adept with whom I've been working for over 14 years and doing pretty steady spiritual practice. And I don't think I'm unique in any way in that there's many people on a spiritual path awakening at this time, but I seem to have had enough ups and downs on this path that's, that um, seem to be universal in nature as I've talked to other spiritual seekers. And... I think my main inspiration for 
writing the book is because I'm, A, really grateful to have had good guidance on the way in spite of some pitfalls. And I think a lot of people give up on the spiritual path when the going gets tough or they switch and try other teachers. And, of course, I've done all that. But I want to really inspire people to stay on the spiritual path um, no matter what the obstacles. And I'm using my own story to illustrate that. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about how you've been a healer since um, the early 90s, is that right, the late 80s? Uh, 1988, the year of the harmonic yeah. convergence. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Um, and I know you did, you worked with Barbara Brennan. Tell us a little yes, bit about her and your work with... Well, she was a really good teacher in that she could translate... Um, the experience and expertise she had with subtle states into teaching, being able to teach other people how to open up to subtle levels of reality. And I studied with her for four years. I had never done anything like that. And um, it was life-changing in that my whole perception of the world and reality really changed. And well, she had come from NASA, correct? She had been a scientist, is that right? She was a scientist. She was also a spiritual seeker. And mm-hmm. her clairvoyance opened up during her own process. And she was able to um, clairvoyantly see the subtle energy field. And it was always so accurate that when one was being seen that way, one's reality changed because he realized that there were other levels um, to perception, like seeing she had x-ray vision into the body. She could see emotional issues without you telling her. Um, So all these things were very intriguing to me, and I later learned in spiritual life they were not that important. But initially, it was what got me on the path. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually that led to going to other healing trainings and developing further. And eventually I realized that what I was really seeking was God and spirituality. Um, And that's a natural occurrence of exploring one's energy body because the energy body is connected to cosmic consciousness. So if you explore those layers long enough, you eventually start to have spiritual experiences. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, I have to say, as, as you know, I've I've known you for 10-plus years now and have had healings from you and many conversations with you. And, um, you know, I tend to be a somewhat, I don't know, I don't know that I want to use the word cynical, but <laughs> careful, cautious person. And... Uh, I have to say that you have been so wise in your teachings about this and um, so real um, as you share, you know, your steps along your spiritual path. So I really thank you for that personally, too, Um, because it's such a key part of life. At least I certainly find it to be, and um, I think many, many people do. Um, So... Um, 
I guess I, I guess one more thing I want to talk about too is is now that you're writing your um, book Wired for God, how do you compare um, the writing process to the painting process? Do you prefer one over the other, or? Uh, I definitely prefer painting. <laughs> so, <laughs> the writing uh-huh. process has been really hard for me. Um, why do you prefer painting? Why Why do you think I, I prefer painting it? over writing? <laughs> uh, why? Um, writing has been know. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly mm-hmm. because painting um, is just my natural way of expressing myself, and it's playful. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm mm-hmm. still at the beginner stage of being a writer where I don't have those levels integrated. And mm-hmm. I need a lot of patience with myself because mm-hmm. I seem to write in circles and my grammar is terrible at the beginning and the thoughts are scattered. And maybe this is because I'm old. I don't know. But um, thank God for computers where you can cut and paste because yeah. without that, yeah. I can't imagine typing on a regular typewriter. Um, yeah. <laughs> But also, um, because I'm writing about um, spiritual experiences, mystical experiences, I have to go back to that place and kind of pull the experience up so that it's present in the moment, to write about it as if it were present in the moment. And that's been an interesting journey. And writing about things that I'd rather not remember has been difficult. (laughs) because I was pretty naive back when I started and I had some negative experiences. Um, And I feel it's important to write about them because really, as I've worked as a healer, I have encountered um, other people having those same experiences. And I feel like I can cancel them because I've had them. Negative experiences with teachers or with phenomena or what what kind of All of the above, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm getting lost and, you know, and, yeah, all of the above. Mm -hmm. So um, they're fairly common. You know, when you're in the middle of them, you think you're the only one. Um, So I think that's valuable. Um, And also as a woman, there are very few books. I have them mostly, I have probably all of them on my shelf, written by women mystics, women seekers, um, and I think it's important to have records of the journey so that yes. other people can read them. And from a female point of view in particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't I, know what I, the difference is between the male and female points of view, but um, I'll have to think about that. But I think mm-hmm. women should be represented, right? So I know you've also mentioned things along um, through the years that that – uh, coincidences or moments of grace have happened that have led you to uh, new learnings, um, things. So you feel like if, if your if the spiritual journey has been um, round, I don't know how would you describe it. I mean, I guess the, I would say guided ups and downs sure. in a way, guided. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally guided. And every time I thought I was taking a leap into the unknown, like quitting jobs, quitting my position as a teacher in various um, schools, or mm-hmm. 
um, <clears throat> changing spiritual teachers. Um, you know, I always thought that I'd be abandoned, and I've never been abandoned. Actually, I've been given abundance, an abundance of guidance, an abundance of um, grace, I would say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and do you think part of the journey, the challenge of the journey, is bringing that what you call, you know, like... Um, the, the upper level of absolute to bring that down into daily life, to not separate it, not that you go, I know you've been to India several times, but not that you go to India and stay there and live in a cave for 20 years, but that you come back to California or New Jersey, wherever you're living, and and, and have daily life here with a computer, Absolutely. Absolutely, and um, that relational piece is really important, lest one get, you know, inflated. I mean, the people around you, your family, your friends, um, and creativity itself keeps you grounded because every time you face that blank page, you put your ego aside. So it continually reminds you that you're nothing. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it feels to me like I'm always starting again. And it keeps you honest. If you're facing the page or the canvas with a desire to speak or paint truth, um, it, 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 it keeps you honest, and it keeps you having to face the reality of of life as you as it's perceived through your mind, heart, and body. I guess it does. And I think finding that line of truth is also what's so difficult for me right now about writing. Because you write something and then you go, is that really true? Was that true? Is that really the truth? You know, and refining mm-hmm. that until you feel like you've hit the truth. I think uh, Hemingway has a quote about writing, his desire to write one true sentence and then another true sentence. And that by step along the way. Um, and it's, so it's inspiring that he tore up a lot of pages, right, all the time. <laughs> That's right. He said his all first drafts are S-H-I-T, so that's <laughs> um, good to know. Um, so creativity can help us um, in our lives and getting in touch with our true self. Um, do you think it can also help in relational issues like now and all the terrible challenges that that the people in the world are facing and how do we get along and 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 what happened recently in Paris one of my biggest fears is the is the increased antagonism between differing points of view and and do you think that do you think that I, I do you think that the creative process that the creativity within an individual can can be a tool that can help promote tolerance among people of different yes. things or different political persuasions, et cetera. Absolutely. And, I, you know, myself, I, I reshared a drawing that came through Facebook. I'm sure you've seen it by now, of the peace sign with the Eiffel Tower. Yes. And, you know, it looked like a five-second drawing, but everybody latched yes. onto it in deep need because it became a symbol of France and peace, not war, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, artists have always been activists in some way, reflecting back to the world, uh, their comments on the world we live in. Um, yeah. That's always been true, and I think it's our responsibility. The same with healers, you know, that we live what we're trying to have happen. Yeah. 
And also being involved in a creative activity is such an outlet for 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 the for the beautiful and ugly parts of ourselves, right? I mean if yeah. we put it in a page or or something I often think of that of like with Stephen King or something, you know, horror horror is in the world. There are there is evil, but gosh, it's so much better to put it in a novel or a short story than Absolutely. It gives room for the another way. To yeah. Exactly, exactly. So um so and and you mentioned in your healing practice and, and creativity plays a key role in that too. So a little bit about that for a minute. Well, I feel right now at this point in my healing practice, I can be in that creative flow with a client and I don't have an agenda to fix anything anymore. And even though people come for fixing and things shift and change and heal, um, it comes from a non-dual outlook, which means that I am accepting where they are um, in the moment not trying to change them, and um, tracking them at all four levels, that universal spiritual level, the emotional level, the pattern level, the physical level. And I know they're already whole. And just this mutual kind of tracking and exploring with curiosity um, informs my sessions um, and healing arises from that very deep connection to reality and relationship to all that is and to all our parts and to uh, the great mystery that holds us all. So mm-hmm. it really is spiritual healing in that sense that then affects the physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I highly recommend Danny as the healer and spiritual counselor and would you um, give people your website both for your healing and counseling sessions and also um, the shawls? I, I own one of your shawls, which is exquisite. Um, if you can, I know you have two separate websites for for the healing and art. If you can give our listeners those, that would be great. Sure. My healing website is simply my name, dannyansman.com, A-N-T-M-A-N. And the shawls can be found on uh, divinerhapsody.com. And Rhapsody is spelled with a W like a rap, W-R-A-P-S-O-D-Y. So divinerhapsody.com. And um, uh, there's a way to schedule appointments on my website. There's articles and um, other information for the interested person. Great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Danny. And um, uh, I really, I'm really happy to talk to you this evening. And I really am looking forward to reading Wired for God: Adventures of a Jewish Yogi. So we thank will look so forward much. to seeing that in print one day soon. <laughs> so, all right. Yeah. Thank you, Danny. Take care, Donna. Okay. Okay. You Good too. Night. Good Bye-bye. night. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's Tefera Talk. The show will be archived and accessible for later listening on our website at www.teferatjournal.com. You're invited to join our global community of readers and writers and to subscribe to our literary magazine, Teferat Journal. 
In the meantime, all of us at Teferit wish you and the world a meaningful and creative peace. May we all embody Teferit in our lives, a loving heart, wise compassion, and an expansive reconciliation of opposites.